0: Please listen carefully. Welcome back to another episode of the Extra Buttery Podcast. We've got quite a lineup for you today on the episode, a bunch of news and a couple of new reviews. But uh, we'll start off by talking about Wonder Woman, which is set to come out this weekend, the weekend that this episode drops. We'll be getting into some of the very positive advance reviews, as well as the ban of the movie in Lebanon, all over the ethnicity of its star, Gal Gadot. And then we'll talk a little bit about Tom Holland, the star of Spider-Man Homecoming, and his newest role in the Uncharted movie, and what the Uncharted movie might offer in terms of being the first to break the video game movie curse. So we'll take a look at that. Then we'll dive into a new project from the director of Elysium and District 9, Neil Blomkamp. It's a thing called Oats, and the news here is that he's going to be distributing it on Steam, the digital games platform. And we'll just uh, talk a little bit about what this could mean for the digital content industry. And then finally, we'll talk about Alien Covenant and Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. Jason went to see Alien Covenant, I went to see Pirates, so we'll trade some ideas on uh, the pros and cons of those movies. But, coming to you from Toronto, my name is Robert Snow, and joining me from Vancouver is my co-host Jason Chen. How's it going? Good. How about you? I'm doing alright. Uh... That was a lot of news to churn through in that intro. I don't know. <laughs> um, but let's get started with uh, Wonder Woman. I have to say I was pleasantly surprised to see the advance reviews coming out of this movie. Just a few months ago, there had been all these kind of nasty rumors circulating that it was going to be another flop for DC, and yep. now it's hitting like 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's been certified fresh, but I know this was something that you've been tracking. So uh, what do you make of this kind of reversal all of a sudden?
1: So the reversal to me is like super interesting because I used to feel that the advanced buzz for a movie is fairly accurate. So the advanced buzz for Wonder Woman before the review embargo was lifted was that this was a production in which kind of fell into the same trap as the other DCEU movies. And that it was cool to see, but the plot and the characters and everything else just kind of fell by the wayside. Like it was very secondary to this universe that they're trying to establish and create. I'm really glad that the advance reviews are good, and based on some of the movie reviewers I follow, they've been pretty pleased with it. The one thing about Rotten Tomatoes sometimes is that they only tell you if it's good or bad. It doesn't tell you how good. So to me, I'm still a little hesitant to th- think that Wonder Woman could even come close to some of the previous movies, but I mean, DC set the bar pretty low for themselves, right? Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. And Gal Gadot, like credit to her. I mean, she really, I think, has become synonymous with the role um, in the same way Linda Carter was way back in the day. Um, it's hard to see anyone in that role, and I'm pretty excited to see the movie now.
0: I was before, but now I'm li- looking a little more forward to it. And I mean, I don't want to indulge in like too many conspiracy theories or anything, because it seemed like when we were hearing before about the production being in trouble and the studio being unhappy and and the advanced screenings going poorly, it all seemed to, mm-hmm. to originate from this report based around an, a quote-unquote, disgruntled employee at, at WB who had left the production and was spreading all of this stuff. And so immediately, <laughs> like, I think, I mean, the uh, the official movie press, and I think we talked about it on the show for a little bit, it kind of became this salacious little detail of like, ooh, is it is like DC going to fall flat again? Um, but, I mean, who knows where that story came from or what was motivating it? Was it a little bit of like... Industry skullduggery <laughs> It was a Marvel insider. <laughs> yeah, like who knows? But uh, and I mean, there's there's no point even uh, speculating at this point. But, Corporate espionage. Yeah, but it but there is a, a real world barrier that the the movie is having to overcome, which is uh, yes, it's being banned in Lebanon uh, all over the fact that uh, Gal Gadot is Israeli, and it's just like this completely. Rape. Has the actual ban been put in place or is it something they've been talking about i'm not sure it it uh, i definitely saw at least a few headlines suggesting that it was an official ban yeah like i can't believe there's so little uproar
1: over this you know Mm. like we've been talking about feminism whatever definition you want to use you know like women's rights problems in the middle east and this stuff comes up and nobody's up in arms like how can you ban a movie just because someone's like Israeli or some race that you don't accept or some you know follow some religion or lifestyle that you don't like I feel like that's such a petty and stupid thing to go about these things like it's a movie at the end of the day right it can be as political as you want it to be if you think if you're going to movie just being like hey I'm gonna go see a superhero movie and I'm just gonna you know laugh my butt off or enjoy all the action sequences I don't think it matters who or where the
0: actors come from right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, for I think for most people, certainly North America, most of Europe, you know, that that would be the prevailing mindset. But uh, I think we we are dealing with a country where like, it's uh, Hezbollah is one of the the leading powers in Lebanon, I believe. And they they certainly have made a long uh, history of uh, opposition to the state of Israel. And I mean, we're getting into geopolitics here, which is something I, I'm only like, halfway is knowledgeable about <laughs> but uh you can you can definitely see why they would do this like the the you know if they're trying to further their own political agenda and they can make a lot of noise by targeting a major hollywood film and being the guys to be like hey no we we're going to stick by this this stupid policy and get a lot of attention over it so you know politically you can see why they would um, and they probably, they can probably enforce the ban because uh, in a lot of these countries, you know, we, you look to places like Saudi Arabia that have even more strict social customs, social uh, laws, yeah. um, you know, these things can continue for a long time. And, and yet we continue to bow at their feet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It has been banned. I just looked up. It has been banned. At least the public release screening was banned. And it's because I think Israeli women have to serve in the army. I'm not sure.
0: Yes. Well, I think all Israelis have to serve at least two years, male or female.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Gal Gadot has served in the military and in the past she has been quite critical of Hamas. So that obviously doesn't help. But at the same time, like this is
0: so petty, man. Like it's a freaking movie. Yeah. But but you can see my point though, because they're able to seize on something that's so petty and turn it into something that is so much more. Like what do you hope to gain from this by banning it?
1: I can't I can't wrap my mind around the motivation behind it. I don't know. I don't even know how to process it. It just it makes no sense to me
0: yeah yeah i think it's it's just a question of of like there's a severe contrast between the way we look at arts and culture here in north america in europe uh or even parts of, even parts of asia are kind of coming around to this now like we're seeing uh granted there's still some pretty some pretty heavy duty laws and and regulations in place uh, for what gets released in in like a market like china um but slowly they are coming around. So, I mean, who knows what, it, what it'll take in, in the Middle East. But
1: Not that we don't have the same problem in Hollywood where men get paid more than women.
0: But we won't outright ban a movie, right? Yeah, you would hope not. <laughs> um, well,
1: unless it's like super violent or super, you know,
0: something, like too extreme for...
1: For anyone, really. Yeah. Like, if it yeah. was a snuff film, no. Yeah, you could probably ban that.
0: <laughs> the, these superhero movies kind of generating headlines and generating discussions well outside of the typical arts and culture sphere. I mean, I think that's why they're still a very intriguing thing to, to keep track of.
1: Yeah, and I'd argue that's a good thing. Yeah,
0: That, yeah. that what's
1: seen on screen has become part of our... Collective identity our social culture and it's it's expanded on ideas that we as a society have talked about right? So
0: like all these sci-fi movies have predicted the future or some of them have anyway, right? And you can almost foresee that this becoming a bit of a trend in the future because you know as we push to have better representation in the movies we see coming out of Hollywood more people of color in leading roles and that kind of thing more black directors more female directors you know it's highly likely that we're going to see more controversies like this coming out of certain countries that have decided to turn this representation into a political statement and and to oppose it yeah maybe this is this is kind of just like the the vanguard of of what's to come so but moving over to an actor who's also going to be well known for his superhero performance who's now getting his next big role And that's uh, Tom Holland, uh, who's going to be our new Spider-Man in a few weeks' time. Quick question. Which movie will gross more, Wonder Woman or Spider-Man? And which one will have better reviews? Uh, I mean, this is total speculation, having not seen either one, just totally based on marketing. Yeah, of course. I I sort of think Wonder Woman might do better. Like critically or commercially? Both. Both? Yeah. I'm going to put my chips down on, on Wonder Woman at this point. Just because the, I feel like Marvel is kind of cooling off a little bit. I don't know. Some of the marketing. A little bit. Some of the marketing for Spider-Man. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. The Too much. There's too much marketing and like they, it, it could be that the critics just aren't on the side of this one. My
1: theory is that Spider-Man will make more money or gross more money at the box office. But I don't imagine by quite a bit more. Mm. But I do think Wonder Woman will have much more favorable reviews. Mm. Okay. I think this is the one time where DC can laugh at Marvel and be like, haha, we have the better movie. Right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure though. Which will be really fun because it'll be the first time DC has come out on top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than the Batman property.
0: But yeah, the, the the whole Tom Holland thing, like he he's going to be in this Spider-Man Homecoming movie, but like any rising star, he's already booking his next big starring project, and uh, in this case, it's going to be uh, the adaptation of Uncharted, which has been through production hell the past few years. That's been it's been jumping around between studios. They've had multiple directors attached. All sorts of names have been floated for the Nathan Drake character. Um, but now that Tom Holland is on board, it's starting to sound closer to actually happening. Do you play the game? No, it's uh, I've been meaning to for a really long time. The fact that it's a PlayStation exclusive has been a bit of a barrier. I, I play almost all my games on Steam. So. Mm,
1: you're a PC gamer.
0: Yeah, PC Master Race. No, not really. My computer is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've, I've never played it for that reason, but I've always been interested in it, because obviously that romantic uh, action-adventure thing, I, I love the genre, It's the, I love Indiana Jones. Yeah, me too. And the, the interesting thing, though, about Uncharted as a, as a project is that it has often been talked about in terms of being probably the most likely movie to break the video game movie curse, just because of how cinematic the games are, how they rely on cutscenes. And I don't know, are you also seeing that from this project? Like, I know you were saying that you're actually a fan of the games.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've been playing the game when it first came out because I I have a PlayStation, and that's the console I've always had. Mm -hmm. So... My thought is that Tomb Raider and Uncharted should be easily adapted into film because they have certain elements in the game that really lend itself into a film. Like when you play it, you actually feel like you're you're in a movie. There's a character, he goes through a, a character arc, there's a goal he has to reach, and along the way he gets help, he m- meets all sorts of weird villains and he has to go through all these things and whatnot. But you could say the same about Assassin's Creed. And then Assassin's Creed was <laughs> terrible. So if Uncharted and Tomb Raider end up falling flat on their faces, I think we should just, speaking of banning, just ban video game adaptations <laughs> forever. Yeah, Because clearly nobody can get it right. And it boggles my mind how they can't get it right. When it's like the source material is so, it's right in front of you and there's so much ground to cover. And it's easy to come up with new sort of adventures yeah. and whatnot right the treasure hunting adventure epic is not anything new in the movie genre
0: yeah and and i mean i've been i've been keeping track of the video game movie curse uh, probably as long as you have and i mean at first yeah. the thing that that i kind of thought about as being a an explanation was You know certainly from for games that are a first-person perspective the the storytelling in in that kind of game is very different because the the player is controlling the frame of the of the game essentially they're pointing their character or their viewpoint of the character around and they're in complete control and if they don't want to advance to the next level they don't have to they can spend like if they want to, they can spend 12 hours just running in circles in whatever world or level they're in. Whereas a movie is a directed experience by its very nature, so you don't have that that freedom to decide your own story. Sure. Um, so that that was what I was thinking at first. You know, like there was a disconnect there between the two mediums. But I don't know. As uh, to your point about Assassin's Creed, I mean that's a third-person game. You're controlling all these different assassins in various time periods, and you'd think that there'd be something inherently cinematic about that because granted, the player can still do the same thing. They can still stay in the same level and tell their own weird little story if, if that's what they want, but the, but the game still kind of force you through something that feels a little bit like a movie.
1: I think you could almost say the same about something like uh, Mad Max, where you know there's a lot of stories out there, but it, the, we, the world that they built is so rich and this maybe hurts Uncharted and Tomb Raider because they're they're set in the real world. It's not a post-apocalyptic desert world. So mm-hmm. I think maybe it'll be really hard to differentiate from each other. But like I said, at the same time, this this adventure epic genre is not anything new, and I think there's a certain structure that you have to stick to in it. It feels perfect for Tomb Raider and Uncharted. And keep in mind, these are like, these movies are supposed to show young
0: Drake and young Lara Croft. Right. So that's why they cast Alicia Vikander in uh, the Tomb Raider reboot.
1: Yes. Yeah. So there's an origin story in place here. The idea, though, I think the toughest challenge would be to create a world
0: that is unique to them. Something that doesn't feel like it's ripping off Indiana Jones or the Mummy franchise or any of the others. In exactly. That genre, yeah. Exactly, so I think that's the biggest
1: challenge. I'm rooting for Tom Holland. His American accent is spot on.
0: That's that's a good point. You know, uh, not not all of his countrymen from from England are uh, are in that category. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what? The Brits pull off American accents better than Americans pull off British accents, right? So yes, generally speaking, generally speaking, that's true. But <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of the what was the movie I was watching recently where. It was just, it was actually funny. I think, I mean, even Fassbender, well, no, Fastbender's pretty, he's okay with it. Fassbender's got a weird accent, though, because he speaks so many languages. Yeah. He's got, I can't place his accent sometimes. Yeah. Who was it? Oh, that's going to bother me now. But yeah, they, they, it was <laughs> gonna come. It was back a movie I was watching you. recently where it was like, a, it was like, uh, might have been the, that the actor was like uh, Scottish or something, and they were trying to do an American accent no matter how hard they tried. They got close, but it still wasn't there. <laughs> Uh, i think tom holland to me right off
1: the bat seems a lot more resembles nathan drake a lot more closely than alicia vikander um resembles lara croft but -hmm. at the same time like i think that's neither here nor there i think people like yeah like you know, shit on Ben Affleck
0: for being cast as Batman and whatnot, but look how great he turned out. Exactly, yeah, because I think um back in all the different versions that the Uncharted project has been in over the past number of years, the name that kept coming up as the Mark Wahlberg. Like, ever? No, not Mark Wahlberg. Actually, I no? was thinking of uh, Nathan Fillion.
1: Oh, well, dude, everyone loves Castle, eh? Everyone wants to cast Nathan Fillion in everything. It's all these like internet fanboys are like, he would be like the perfect Nathan Drake. Oh, he would be a perfect Batman villain. Oh, he'd be a perfect superhero, whatever. Although I do enjoy Firefly. I I thoroughly enjoyed
0: Firefly. Oh, yeah. I have to admit. I mean, Nathan Fillion has a lot of geek cred that he he can keep cashing in on. He does. um, And he is actually technically in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Who does he play? He's not in it in any kind of obvious way. He's playing a character who in the comics is like a failed actor or maybe not a failed actor, but at least (laughs) he's he's an actor who becomes a superhero named Wonder Man. Oh. Um, And so in the Earthbound scenes in guardians of the galaxy volume two there are movie posters for this character's movies oh, so in universe interesting movies with complete with like pull quotes from fake critics and uh marketing taglines and everything i didn't notice that well it's like super subtle and like uh it it was only a couple of days after the the guardians premiere that uh, james gunn started sharing the high res uh poster art on uh mm. instagram and twitter uh just so that for people who like didn't want to squint and like try to see it as like something was exploding in the foreground or you know yeah but so technically nathan fillion is in the marvel universe now and so everyone's trying to like tease details out of james gunn on social Uh, uh, social media being like when are you gonna actually put this character like in a real scene the one name i heard the most often was
1: mark Wahlberg, and he kind of had a uh, maybe a similar match in personality to the video game character But again, like if they're going to start with young Nathan Drake, then obviously he's out the window and he's made a career out of playing the great American
0: hero. So Mm, yeah, Uh, we were going to move on to uh, Neil Blomkamp, actually, Mm -hmm. because uh, sort of uh, still in that what we've been talking over the past uh, couple of episodes here and there, especially when it comes to Netflix and Amazon and their changing business models and their focus on original content, um, Neil Blomkamp, who most people will probably knows, the director of District Nine and then Elysium and the absolutely wretched movie <laughs> Chappie, he's now prepping this project that's just called Oats, like the breakfast cereal product, and. It's a, what seems to be a series of short films set in the post, a post-apocalyptic, post-alien invasion universe, which is something that Blomkamp feels really comfortable in. Yeah, he does very well. The, the key detail here is that the, the content is going to be distributed exclusively on Steam, which is the, the digital uh, game store. Um, so it's, Steam is a product that, that I use. You know, I buy all the games I play on PC through Steam, so I'm mm-hmm. familiar with that ecosystem. But this would be the first time that Steam is really embracing non-video games in a big way. So what do you, like, what do you think about how what this might mean for the industry? This is potentially
1: huge because I don't know a single PC gamer who doesn't use Steam. So Steam to the PC community for people who don't know is huge. It's like the only video game library these guys really buy and download games off of. If Steam like hits a home run with this stuff with Blomkamp, we have another player in the movie streaming business. And this could be huge because Steam already has, like I said, a built-in crowd. And if they could team up with a bigger company, maybe Netflix, or maybe get enough funding to produce their own movie or TV show um, arm of the business, um, I think it could be a huge game changer. I mean, imagine if they Mm -hmm. team up with Netflix and some of the IPs that Steam maybe owns would cost very little for Netflix to turn into a TV series or a film adaptation, right? Mm. And you've kind of cornered the crowd that uses the internet for games and any sort of media, right? Yeah. I think Netflix and Amazon and Apple so far have been really focused on um tv shows and movies and miniseries the pc gaming industry i feel like is starting to make a comeback there was a time when pc games were kind of like fallen by the wayside because people had fallen in love with consoles right but now it's making a huge comeback and if you're into the business world like sometimes i am you'll notice that a lot of companies like amd nvidia nxpi a lot of these chip manufacturers that make chips for games are actually doing quite well. So I think I don't know what your thoughts about Steam. Maybe it's too expensive for them to venture out into that.
0: But do we even know if it's a TV or a film se- or TV series? I think because um, I watched the trailer for the for the Oats Project yesterday, I believe, and I think it's being pitched as like a series of short films, but like high budget short films. Mm-hmm. So almost more of like a serialized experience. I have a feeling like the episodes would be like almost TV length. And it's it's a different it's definitely a different mode for Blomkamp to be in because he's always kind of been a uh, he's been a feature film guy for pretty much his, his entire career so far. But he did does have a background in working with Peter Jackson and trying to create a Halo movie mm-hmm. that also went through uh, complete production hell and got canned. And there's this there's actually a great article that goes into um how that came to be and like how how microsoft and Bungie like tried to come into a world they didn't understand and and the thing just fell apart it was it's kind of beautiful although halo ended up being like a series of
1: mini movies like tv movies
0: yeah so they they still they still got something out there but i don't think it it achieved a kind of um, no mainstream thing in the way that this might yeah they totally missed the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and who knows? Maybe they'll they'll finally get their act together and figure it out in the future. But but Blomkamp <laughs> comes out of he understands that world a little bit better. You know, he's the right generation. Yeah. He knows the the audience. I think, and maybe this gives him more creative freedom. Because Blomkamp, to me.
1: Especially in District 9 and uh, the other movie he did, Elysium, he's built these like future worlds that are like super interesting and he touches on like certain social issues and stuff that I think is the heart of sci fi. So I think this is huge potential for him. I'm really excited to see what Steam does. I just, um, it's there, it's there's a lot of barriers to entry because it's so expensive
0: and there's a lot of competition yeah so i think uh, you know maybe a partnership with a with an existing content creator would would make sense you know but yeah. from a from a financial perspective and you know it it brings us a little bit closer to what i think a lot of consumers want which is a one app solution you know they yeah. people kind of gravitate towards a service that can offer them a whole bunch of different things all in one place yeah i'm i'm
1: tired of having like five streaming services yeah. at my fingertips yeah
0: just give me one i just only
1: need one <laughs> I know you guys love the competition and I know everyone wants my attention but I only need I only need one or two
0: you're not you're saying that the, the competitive marketplace is uh, no longer uh,
1: <laughs> I, no I'm just saying I'm constantly overwhelmed by my options mm. oh yeah me too like it, it used to be that TV people are like you know what the people don't know what they want they're just gonna watch whatever you put out yeah to now today we're like oh people want to watch what they want to watch yeah but now we've gone to the extreme where
0: there's too much to watch. Yeah. It's just like.
1: <laughs> so like I'm constantly overwhelmed and I can't even finish half of Netflix, like a 10th of Netflix's library. No, never. And I haven't started on like Crave or Amazon or anything like that. right? Yeah.
0: I'm so behind on everything all the time. And it's just my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I can't
1: multitask as some people like some people can like do read a book or like do homework or do whatever while watching a movie I can't no, do I that. can't I can't do that either yeah, I'm that's... not one of those like I feel like I'm missing way too much if I'm watching a movie I'm watching a movie
0: yeah plug-in
1: yeah exactly so I don't miss anything
0: so yeah that's that that's gonna be well we'll see where that goes that's it's gonna be a really fascinating thing to keep track of if it goes anywhere so from that, the final little bit of news we were going to talk about is uh, the Edge of Tomorrow sequel, which is kind of, I don't know, This the news here kind of caught me off guard. I didn't think that the, the money people were going to support this in the way that they are. Emily Blunt is, is signed back on to reprise her character. Tom Cruise is on board as a producer and star. Um, Doug Liman is going to return and direct. You know, despite the fact that the movie kind of made, you know. But hold middling- on, Rob. Hold on
1: what's the title of the new movie, I've yet to reveal this.
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah, we should get this out of the way. Um, Because, so there was this whole, if you think back to when uh, the first Edge of Tomorrow hit home video, there was this whole thing about the cover art on the Blu-ray. And it very prominently, the biggest text on the cover art said, live, die, repeat, which is one of the marketing lines from the movie and then only on the spine and i think in small text on the front it actually had the name of the movie edge of tomorrow so <laughs> which the, makes the studio, no sense
1: in the movie by the way no
0: sense at all and like for for random people coming across this disc in stores they probably you know if they're not paying as close attention as like movie buffs like us are they may have no idea what movie they're looking at they might see like tom cruise's face and they're like hey okay i'll pick this up but to minimize the the title of the movie so prominently i don't know it was it was a very bizarre decision so now with this sequel coming out adding to this really strange this is hilarious situation is the title of the sequel is going to be live die repeat edge of tomorrow <laughs> I, I don't i can't there's no words i i can't explain how i feel about this or two bad
1: it, ideas does not make a right
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, what was so wrong with the title of the uh, Was it the novel, or the short story that inspired it? All you need is kill. Like, just go, just do that. The story behind
1: that was that the, I think the marketers or the producers of the film were afraid that having kill in the name um, would turn oh, people well. away. And if you think about it, all you need to kill, it's based on a Japanese, I think manga or novel or film or something like that. It's based on a Japanese thing. You have to understand that in Asia, some of the English titles they come up with make zero sense at all. So I I understand their um, motivation to come up with a new title. I just can't believe when you throw millions of dollars at this thing and have, you know, supposedly some of the brightest Hollywood's mind in the room, they come up with
0: the shit. Like a shit title. Like it. It says nothing about the movie. Nobody. Nobody who's going to the movie theater randomly. Like you know, there's plenty of folks out there who think to themselves, "I'm gonna go to a movie tonight." They don't make up their mind before they get to the theater, and they're gonna walk into the movie theater and they're gonna see live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow it's so long there's so many words the the phrases together don't really make a lot of sense like what's wrong with edge of tomorrow two? I guess maybe there can't be two edges or of two tomorrows or
1: <laughs> oh, it's just like edge of tomorrow with like two as in the number <laughs> two morrow like I guess that's what they're
0: afraid of yeah that people make fun of it I don't know I mean surprisingly enough plenty of people or enough people turned out to see the first one despite edge of tomorrow also being kind of a vague name to green light the it was a, great movie, it was a great movie i loved it it was a big surprise yeah um but enough enough people kind of looked past the weird title of the first one so maybe that'll happen again with this one
1: yeah so given the title and how they brought back most of the original crew it better be fucking good mm, yeah because <laughs> then i would i would not forgive them for making such a dumb 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 dumb
0: dumb title yeah and to that point, uh, Doug Lyman was uh, doing some press uh, earlier this week, and he was asked the, you know, the inevitable question: "What's the sequel going to be like?" And he wanted to kind of address. He wanted to head people off at the pass and say, "Well, as he saw it, the tradition in Hollywood is to make the sequel to anything be so much bigger and to expand the world and to build out sure. the mythology and just, you know." And that, that is the thing that Hollywood does. So his response in this one, and he seemed kind of excited about it, was to deliberately make the sequel smaller. Yeah, quote unquote smaller. So I don't know what that means. Like He suggested that maybe there would be less action, there would be less of a focus on the comedy that that's is actually cool. a, a pretty big part of the first one. I'd, I don't know what if this is actually going to happen or not, but that's what he's going into the process with. Uh, So that's, it's definitely intriguing. It's, it's, uh, we'll see if it actually survives the famous Hollywood grinder of directing by committee and all that. Yeah. I mean, Edge
1: of Tomorrow was a
0: great standalone film. It
1: really didn't need a sequel, but I think people
0: just kind of demanded it. To what extent do you think, uh, do you think Tom Cruise is kind of responsible for it? Like, do you think he would, he felt so strongly about the project that he kind of convinced all the, the money people to make it happen?
1: Well, from what I understand, everyone who worked on the movie really loved working on it. Maybe Tom Cruise is a huge driving force. I, it wouldn't surprise me. But again, with any Tom Cruise movie, he rarely makes bad movies. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for Edge of Tomorrow 2.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So from that kind of sci-fi uh, tone, uh, let's let's move over into the, the other big sci-fi movie of the past uh, couple of weeks, Alien Covenant. We've mentioned this on a number of episodes now because we were kind of looking ahead to it. You know, it was one of the first movies of the, uh, uh, the summer movie season. So you went to see it last weekend. And what did you, what did you think? Like, where, where are you at in, this, uh, in the Alien universe? <sighs> That's a big sigh. Audible sigh. Audible <laughs> sigh. Yes.
1: So I really, really wanted this movie to be good, as did a lot of people. I walked out of it not feeling a single thing though. Oh, like I wasn't excited. I wasn't. I definitely wasn't scared. And it, if anything, it made me less intrigued by the third installment because I felt that through horror movies now, six movies now,
0: yeah, six yeah, movies it up six. Yeah,
1: there's so few things that you can really explore and exploit, having seen like the huge alien xenomorph. And having really gone in depth about its origins, about what it is and whatnot, it's taken away some of the suspense, because what's unknown is always uh, scarier. Yeah. So at some point, Alien became this like action thriller, horror thriller, into a just a big set piece movie. And I might have just been the wrong audience for it because I'm so I'm fairly well versed in the Alien franchise in the universe. So I know when a character says, hey, look at the alien egg more closely. Hey, go closer to the egg. In my mind, I'm already mentally prepared for something to happen. Right. And I already know what the alien is look like. Is, looks like. So it takes the entire suspense away from it. Every time I'm screaming inside, don't do it, don't do it. Because all these sci-fi movies now have a huge, especially the Aliens franchise, has a problem with having really dumb characters or smart characters do dumb things. Yeah, this was my big problem with Prometheus. If dumb characters do dumb things, that's okay because that's their character. But if you have a bunch of scientists, a bunch of terraforming colonists and a bunch of, you know, like high-minded, very well-educated professionals, how can they do so many dumb things that it trashes an entire spaceship mission? I don't know if that makes you more or less likely to see it. I think based on production alone, I
0: think it's worth going to because I thought Michael Fassbender was fantastic. Yes. And here's something that like, you know, I remember seeing, well, you and I saw Prometheus when it came out. Yes. And, you know, I'm not I'm nowhere near as well versed in Alien uh, as you are, you know, it, so it, I didn't have an immediate connection to the world. But... And I also really, I really hated how the same thing happened in Prometheus, where these, you know, uh, ostensibly super smart people who are selectively chosen for this high stakes mission, do the stupidest things and one by one get knocked off for the purposes of jump scares and all of that. And of course, the ones that picked off are like the least significant character yeah they're they're obviously not the leads you know they would they would he would never do something like kill his lead in the 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 opening or not in the first yeah not in the opening but i will say that the the part about prometheus that i love is the michael fassbender lawrence of arabia clip big things have small beginnings I think that is the most inspired part of that whole movie. Now, part of that is because I'm such a lifelong fan of Lawrence of Arabia as a movie. So <laughs> yes, you so are. any movie that that references it and does it well gets instant points for me. But I think the way the way Scott did it in Prometheus was still very valid. Like it wasn't just a, a call out for the sake of seeming smart being like, here's a classic movie. right the The ideas in Lawrence of Arabia sync up with Prometheus in a twisted way in the sense that David the android played by Fassbender and Prometheus is kind of creating life that's his that's his driving thing he's creating life he's creating like a really horrible form of life but it, it links up with how Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia is trying to civilize the middle east and take something and turn it into something else through this kind of exertion of intelligence and uh, and all of that so i really i really love that and apparently What I've heard of Alien Covenant they try to do that again. So even just that plus the visuals that I know that Scott always delivers I'll probably end up seeing it and to be honest that was the single most par-
1: uh, interesting part of mm-hmm. Covenant was the whole Android Michael Fassbender trying to create something because he himself was created so it, like I think Prometheus is recommended viewing before you watch Covenant Because Mm -hmm. other than the fact that it's a direct sequel, there are certain ideas that Prometheus kind of left behind that Covenant picks up. But at the same time, Covenant starts, you know, opening up a whole new set of questions where you're like, well, everything I learned in the previous five Aliens movies, especially in the ones that feature Sigourney Weaver, don't even matter anymore. And And in the sequel... The sequel to Covenant that will be coming out, which will I presume will link up to sigourney Weaver's Alien. Oh. I think there's so little mystery left in what he can do in that sequel, in that third film, that I've just kind of lost interest. There's a uh, Fastbender pulls double duty in Covenant, where he plays two androids. Spoiler alert. There's a scene in there. Well, actually, every scene with the two of them is fantastic. But there's a scene in there where David teaches Walter to create. And I thought that was the most poignant part of the film. The execution of the creation of the xenomorph, to me, felt a little flat. Because I felt it didn't really live up to this great mythology, this great, you know, sort of idea in my head. Um, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but it seems to me as if the creation of the xenomorph really took away from the film. I think we didn't really need to learn any of that, but I but it's also central to to the conflict between Walter and David. Oh, okay. So I mean, maybe it's just it wasn't executed right, mm-hmm. but uh, everything else I thought was was well done. Just wasn't very interesting. One last thing. If you were, if you told me to rank all the alien films, Covenant still ranks far, far, far behind the first two aliens. Mm. Okay. But I would say that I think it's actually, I waffle a bit, but I think it's slightly better than
0: Prometheus. Okay. Okay. But there are definitely redeeming qualities in both movies. How did you find the cast in general? Like the, you know, Scott has this, uh, I think he. Certainly, with uh, with Prometheus, you know he and and now with Covenant, he casts a lot of actors who we're used to seeing in very different things, very different types of projects. Yes, which I love. I love that he does that. Yeah. So I mean, he, Catherine Watterson as the the lead. She's okay. And then Danny McBride is there. He was good. But then he's also introducing a few actors who have kind of been, you know, maybe coming up, but now this is their first big studio picture. So. Uh, did you, do you, find, did you think, think that Alien Covenant may be a star maker for any of, the, for any of its cast? There's no actor that's going to break out in this movie. The people
1: that have the most screen time is obviously Fassbender, Waterston, and Billy Crudup. I thought Billy Crudup wasn't very good, uh, partly because I didn't think his character was very believable or very mm-hmm. well thought out. I thought he was a quite malleable. But there are a couple scenes in there where the supporting actors were very, very good. So Amy Simons was really good. She's kind of the first one that comes in contact with the alien. So her fear and her shock is quite, it really passes along the the genuine feeling that you should be feeling. You know what I mean? Like she's when she's scared, you're scared too. You're scared for
0: her. She's a proxy for the audience. Yeah,
1: exactly. And her, she plays Danny McBride's wife in the movie, and they have some pretty good chemistry, even though they don't actually appear in the same scenes together a lot, which is interesting. And then Kaylee Hernandez and I think it's Jesse Smollett. um, They also play um, people in the crew, and they do a do a Fairly fine job, I think they they're involved in like the most scary scene in the movie. I think okay them and and Amy Simons. I think there's two distinct scary parts in the film. That I wasn't really scared because I kind of
0: knew yeah what was going to yeah, happen. Yeah. But I I don't think anyone was bad. I mean I I have a like I said I have a feeling I'm going to I'm going to catch it. Um maybe maybe in a couple weeks time I don't know the uh, summer summer movie season is a bit punishing when it comes to uh, staying on top of stuff. Yeah
1: yeah. The production value alone, I think, is worth going to see. Okay. All right. But uh, anyway, you saw Pirates. I did. Yeah. So uh, probably... By the way, is it Dead Men Tell No Tales or is it Salazar's Revenge? Like, make up your mind.
0: It, did you see a couple of more bits of marketing where it was called Salazar's Revenge? Yeah. It's called Salazar's Revenge. And it makes so much more sense to me anyway. Was that like one of those international titles? You know, like how... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: so outside of North America, it's known as Salazar's Revenge, right? Which, okay, yeah. So knowing knowing that, uh, I agree with you. That is a better title. But I, they, it, I guess Dead Men T- Tell No Tales, uh, falls in that trend with. It's more pirate lore. It's a, it's a thing that pirates say, and you know, just like just like the other ones, yeah. like uh, Dead Man's Chest, and at well, At World's End could be really anything, but On Stranger Tides, you know. So they're all, you know, whatever. So here we are with. The fifth movie in the Pirates franchise. And <laughs> I remember, th- I think the thing about Dead Men Tells No Tales that uh, that made it especially difficult for me to like it was how much it reminded me of Curse of the Black Pearl, the first film from 2003, and how genuinely good that movie was. How it, how it, like, it took something that was, you know... When it came out, people were like, you know, it's based on a theme park ride. It can't be any good. But it was actually good. It had swashbuckling. It had sword fights. It had banter. It had ship-to-ship combat, which at the time had been fairly difficult for the filmmakers to pull off because they had to get two full-size ships and, like, have them chase each other. And, you know. And also, Jack Sparrow was a very original character. Yeah, and he was nominated for an Oscar, which I had totally forgotten about. That was his his first ever nomination for Best Actor. (laughs) Yeah. Now he just sounds Australian. I think I joked about this. Yeah. So, yeah. So now, like four films on, you know, we've been with the Jack Sparrow character for all this time. And, you know, he's. He hasn't changed, eh? No. It's always this, you know, and I guess part of the joke is that the character doesn't know what he wants. So he's got this magic compass that's supposed to point him to what he wants. And this compass gains more and more significance as the, the franchise goes on. But as the franchise goes on, the mistake that the filmmakers keep making is that they seem to think that the thing that people love about pirates is all the supernatural stuff. But what really I think most audiences want is they want a an authentic pirates movie with sword fights, with ship to ship combat, with banter and good characters and you know the supernatural stuff is kind of like an extra little bit of flavor, but it shouldn't be the main thing. And what instead, what's happened is it's all like every single movie, it just layers on more and more mythology about gods and monsters and random magical MacGuffins that need to be found so that the character can have all this power. And without. Giving anything away. What is the actual plot of Salazar's revenge? Well, and here's something let's just call it that for now. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm calling it. So and here's something I didn't even know before, like the day I saw it, because it did they don't even cover it in the trailers. but the the MacGuffin that they're going after this time is a thing called the Trident of Poseidon, which you know, it has the Greek mythology, but okay. Yeah. So like, immediately, my I'm I'm thinking like, do Greek gods exist in the Pirates universe? Like, if so, where have they been this whole time? Like, wouldn't that be more fun? Yeah, that's weird. But anyways, the powers of the Trident of Poseidon is it's sort of loosely described as being like the be all and end all magical item. So it'll break it'll break all curses. Of course. So the the plot gets kicked off when. Will Turner, who's played by Orlando Bloom, you know, he's been around since the first film. He's still the captain of the Flying Dutchman. So he's taken on that from Davy Jones. And his son, played by the newcomer to the franchise, Brenton Thwaites, his son is in his, is like 18 now, and he wants to free his father from the curse. So he somehow he finds out about the Trident of Poseidon, who knows how, and he decides to go after it. And then at the same time, Jack Sparrow captain salazar and then a newcomer played by ks godelario who's the lead female role in this one they're all after it for other reasons as well so it's just kind of like all-out chase for this object so it's a rat race yeah essentially let's just listen to a clip from when the turners are talking about the trident let me see am to this ship that's why i'm here i think i know a way to break your curse to free you from the dutchman henry I've read about a treasure, a treasure that holds all the power of the sea. The trident of Poseidon can break your curse. Henry, the trident can never be found. I found you. Um, But the problem is, you know, again, it's, it's this emphasis on a supernatural item that the audience doesn't really care about has sort of been made up for in the movie and doesn't seem to have like a really terrifying power other than like spoiler alert, captain Salazar picks it up near the end of the film and he uses it to like throw Jack Sparrow around a little bit. Okay. That's, that's what it, so it does that. And then, and,
1: and then a glittering, shiny Liam Neeson descends from the sky. He's like, that's my brother's trident.
0: It <laughs> wasn't Poseidon played by uh, Danny Houston in the, in the, the clash of the Titans movies. Was he Poseidon? I'm pretty sure he was. I thought it was he... Oh, okay. I don't remember. I just
1: remember Ralph Fiennes was Hades, and the best part of the movie was him and Liam Neeson teaming up. Yeah, that was in Wrath of the Titans. That
0: was the sequel. Yes. That movie was yeah. awful, except for that moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: But, well, they're all awful. The yeah, first one was yeah. awful,
0: too. Um, so, I mean, if that had happened, bonus points. Like, let's sync up the universes already. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Cinematic universe. Yeah. Let's go. So, yeah. It's just... it's If you've seen a Pirates movie in the past 10 years, you know what to expect from Salazar's Revenge. Jack's doing some weird stuff. He's flapping his arms like a mad octopus. Um, there's a couple of set pieces that usually involve like, you know, there's a guillotine thing where Jack almost gets his head cut off as he spins around on like a, a broken guillotine. Of course. You know? And he escapes. And, from and then how, there's this yeah. really crazy scene in the first act where it's actually the, the scene where Jack is introduced in this movie, uh, where they try to pull off a heist of a bank vault and the, they're trying to pull the vault out of a bank with a team of horses and the thing just catches on the rear wall of the bank. And so they end up pulling the bank around all these corners and like it goes on and on and on. And you're like, surely the horses would either die or like or like, surely I've seen this in Fast Five. <laughs> exactly any and i think we were joking about this in the comments under my review but it was like somehow fast five's version of this scene is more plausible and more entertaining <laughs> yeah. two questions though so the fact that salazar's revenge is similar to black pearl isn't that a bonus isn't that like a good thing though well no when i say that it it reminds me of black pearl it's that i wish i was watching black pearl
1: ah okay and the second thing is in the previous i saw zombie sharks how awesome is that are
0: they awesome well I wish they were awesome <laughs> the, oh, damn it because it's they, they kind of come out of nowhere like we're, we're never really introduced to Salazar's ship as a as a thing like we see okay. that it, we see that it has this power where it kind of unfolds itself and then swallows up ships and ma- makes them explode um sort of like an animal like eating the ship so it, it has oh, this power cool. but then there's a scene where he Salazar thinks he can get. Jack Sparrow before he gets to land, like like a lot of the ghost pirates in these movies, Captain Salazar can't go on land for some reason. So he he unleashes these zombie sharks, and they go down to the water because zombie sharks can go on land. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I guess I guess he figures like this is better than like. Racing his giant ship over and just eating Jack Sparrow, I don't know. So he tries this, and the, and there's this scene where they're, you know, they're they're definitely doing a few quotes of Jaws, you know, with the way the sharks come up on the little boat and all this stuff. So all that feels really familiar. But then, literally at one point, one of the zombie sharks jumps over the boat. And I was laughing so hard because my brother, who was seeing it with me, leaned over to me and he's like, They jumped the shark for real. <laughs> literally jumped the shark. I'm like, best comment ever because uh, the it literally happened. Like, they were like thinking to themselves, How do we make this scene more interesting? Let's have the shark jump over the boat and be like snapping in slow motion at the heads of like Jack Sparrow and the other guy.
1: Isn't that like a huge kind of like uh, myth that sharks jump? No, but I've Out seen of footage water? of them jumping. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because for a for, for, while, well, I've seen, like, pictures of it, too. But some people are like, a shark can't jump? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if they swim upwards fast
0: enough, I'm sure they can get some air. Oh, yeah. They can get some air. Like, I've seen some cool footage of them, like, blasting up and, like, going, like, many feet in the air after a seal. But I think the thing here is, like, it's so obviously CGI, and it's in slow-mo, yeah. and the shark seems really, like, really capable at, like, orienting itself in midair and being able to like just barely bite their heads off, but missing every time. So it just, it feels it, they're playing it for a laugh, but it doesn't really land. It's, the CGI wasn't good. No. I mean, it's That's
1: always been like a hallmark. Of, remember, um, Bill, it was it Bill Nighy, uh, it,
0: who played Davy Jones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So he had like the this, the squid makeup, right? He did, yeah, yeah. That was awesome,
0: yeah. Because I think they did they did a certain amount of that practically. Like they put a big armature on his face that had yeah. a lot of like rubber tentacles and stuff. And so the CGI this time wasn't very good. That's not good. Just in general, the I mean, most of the CGI is used to create the the enemy pirates, and it doesn't like the enemy pirates don't feel like they're spooky or have any really distinguishing characteristics compared to any of the other crews of zombie pirates who have popped up in in pirates movies over the past. Ten years, like they're just—they look like they've kind of been flambeed. Like parts of them are burned away, and a, a few of them are like so badly, yeah, badly burned Why? that they're just like a floating hat or a floating arm or something.
1: Why does Salazar have like a perm, like a permanent perm?
0: I think his hair is supposed to be like flo- his hair floats like he's underwater all the time, even when he's just standing on his ship.
1: Oh really yeah oh because I, I was like, what the hell is that? yeah but uh, what's his name?
0: Jeffrey Rush comes back too, doesn't he Yes and here's here's a one bright spot in the movie Jeffrey Rush, I think he's kind of been the unsung oh he's always the bright spot. He's the bright spot but he but he really knocks it out of the park in this one like uh, everything from the costuming they chose for him like he he commands like every scene he pops up in and they even give him a really a really nice uh, bit in the climax. I won't. I won't say what it is. I mean, the, if you see it, the reveal is kind of boring. Like, what role he takes on, but it's, you know, it's all right. Uh, but still, like everything about his performance, I really liked David Wenham. Oh, is in this nice. Movie randomly cashing that paycheck. Yeah, they totally waste him. Like he's brought on as a British naval officer, and he's also one of the people who's after the Trident. But the movie, like basically just wastes him they they have salazar destroy his ship in the second act and, and so should i see this or not rob only in streaming maybe if you're bored one night like do, <laughs> do not pay, i was gonna do not pay to see this i thing.
1: was gonna go see it i just i couldn't bring myself to do it because i knew no, I, 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 I wouldn't would, enjoy would felt it felt angry yeah i think so too and i had skipped the fourth one was that stranger
0: tides yeah, yeah. So yeah. like so that one doesn't even matter because it doesn't really connect with any of this.
1: Yeah. So even at the height of my crush for Penelope Cruz, I couldn't <laughs> even bring myself to see that one. So I'm definitely not going to see this one until it comes out on on home video or something. But like, I mean, the the buzz before the release was good because people are like, oh, they're going back to the roots. Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah. And so I figured, oh, maybe you don't know, maybe it's good, maybe it's you know half decent, but I mean. Now you just kind of like close the case and be like, yeah, just wait for it till it's on Netflix
0: or something. They even they even try. There's one little last detail that they, they even try to put in a little bit of like progressive, like a call out to the women in the audience. Sure. By they have like Kaya Scodelario. she's playing the love interest for Henry Turner. Mm-hmm. So she's put forward as this like amateur scientist, amateur astronomer who is chasing after the Trident because she believes that her father. Uh, left all these clues and it's like her duty to him to track down the Trident using science and using, you know, and there's all, there's this recurring thing about how all of the men that she encounters think she's a witch because she's good at science, that she actually knows something. So the, the movie the movie is trying to be like, hey, get it? We're being progressive. We're having a female character who's doing more than just being a love interest. Get it? Get it? Get it? <laughs> and it's, it just, it pokes you with that so often that you're like, stop. This is not a way. Like you can't, you can't make a progressive female character like this, and not only be so overt about it, but also kind of undercut it by having her fall in love with the new guy because he's like the only clean, like hygienic, like, handsome dude available. You know, like it, it yes. kind of under, it undermines your argument if if she's like, oh, I'm really smart, but I'm also in love with you, and I'm also the only woman in this whole movie. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: is kira knightley not in it i thought she was she is in it yeah just for a cameo at the end oh well that's disappointing yeah we're supposed to feel really like really great because yeah if like any savvy moviegoer out there probably has figured it out like they get the trident they free will turner from the curse of the flying dutchman he goes back and meets up with elizabeth and it's like oh yay but then you're like wait a second I don't really care about these characters I don't care if they're reunited yeah you might not care Rob but be prepared for more sequels uh, I mean I don't know though because the box office receipts are looking kind of not where they should be but okay okay speaking of that are you not surprised that Memorial Day weekend wasn't very strong I'm not really surprised surprised? because I've read a few articles saying that people were surprised that that it underperformed
1: yeah traditionally yes it's always been like the movie weekend right But if you think about what's out there, other than Guardians of the Galaxy, which was released weeks before, there wasn't like a huge buzz heading into the Memorial Weekend about like, this is the movie you should see. Do you think maybe it was because Baywatch and Pirates came out the same weekend? It could be, but like if I had to bet on it, neither of those two films would have been at the top five or ten of my summer list, right? I mean, I think it's, it's not so much that people don't go to the movies over the weekend.
0: It's just that there was nothing good to see. I mean, they, they probably looked at, at what was coming out and they were like, hey, have Pirates have seen that before. And like Baywatch, that's just a, based on a TV show. I don't care if The Rock is in it.
1: Yeah, like we had we had Victoria Day weekend not, not too long ago either. And, and there, were, there weren't any movies that I was like, I need to go see this this long weekend,
0: you know? No, no. I think it was Alien Covenant that weekend.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that one, like I said, it's been disappointing so far. I, I think its box office has been hurt by some of the reviews. And I think people... Ha- are still kind of reeling from Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Because I I think it left a whole bunch of, like, new and old fans on the sidelines because the old fans are like what the hell is this and the new fans are like I can't follow what's going on cuz it's too complicated.
0: Well, I mean if those if if the folks who haven't been flocking to the movie theaters the past couple of weeks, if they're jonesing for something, then maybe they'll they'll move to Wonder Woman with uh, some record-breaking numbers.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it'll we'll break records, but I think Wonder Woman's this like the start of like the real big money makers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny too cuz like after reports of the Memorial Day weekend came out, like the stock prices for a bunch of like movie theaters and and companies that deal with movies
0: all like dropped oh no yeah yeah (laughs) so it's so it's really funny yeah i guess with the you know the, the market responds to that kind of surprise yeah it's
1: well it's always extreme right
0: i think at the end of the year 2017 will still be
1: one of the better years that we've had we just haven't hit all the big movies yet like we're gonna get episode eight in december yep in december yeah so i mean people are like
0: well 2017 sucks so far i'm like well you haven't seen anything yet right oh yeah there's i think there's gonna be some big ones there's there's still marvel has still got to deliver if, uh, at least another movie thor ragnarok but uh, i think that about does it for for this episode Quick shout out to uh, something we have in the works in the near future. We're going to be having another special guest on the show, a friend of ours, uh, Robin Levinson.
1: Robin! She's
0: going to be coming on. Another uh, another friend of uh, Jason and myself from our... Halcyon days as uh, student journalists. Twin Peaks special? Yeah, she's going to be talking Twin Peaks. I've been, in anticipation of my of our segment with Robin, I've been catching up on the new uh, Twin Peaks as well. How do you like it? My brain is completely fried. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't get it. It is, <laughs> I mean, even as a fan of the... Original episodes uh, from the early 90s like Robin was actually the person who got me into Twin Peaks Yeah, the original was messed up too though. Oh, yeah, but this is like um, at least with the with the original episodes There was kind of a balance between the messed up Lynchian surrealist stuff and then like the homey, off-kilter but like fun character moments like fan fan service moments but this these episodes so far and I've watched three of the available four they just full bore lynchian surrealism all the way you're just your eyes go kind of out of sync just trying to process some of the the visuals that he's he's dropping in there fingers crossed it kind of it goes somewhere but i think there's gonna be a lot for for me to talk about with robin so we're aiming to have that on the next episode but if not it'll be the episode after that but until then my name is robert snow in toronto and i'm jason chen in vancouver be sure to check out rob's review of pirates
1: of the caribbean and my review of alien covenant on kinetoscope.ca and we'll talk to you next time